I'm Luke Simmons. And I'm Seth Trout. Welcome to King Culture. All right. Well, Seth, you're back. I'm back. People don't have to listen to any more old episodes of you. You're here. You're ready. You're uh, with us. This is awesome. Yeah, it's good to be back. I was pretty, pretty excited to get back as of about two days before I started coming back. That's perfect, man. I was kind of ex- great. I was expecting to have a little more of a crisis of non-productivity. Who am I apart from working? <laughs> and that didn't really kick in. I felt like, you know, I could win the lottery and be just fine. <laughs> I know, I know, nobody's super like against winning the lottery, but everybody thinks they would win the lottery and be fine. It usually ruins their life. But anyway, yeah, it would definitely ruin some parts of my life. <laughs> but anyway, well, man, fun. it's great to be together. Uh, Long-time listeners will notice that the show opened a little bit different than in yeah. the past. We've made a slight little change here. Yeah, the whole critique the hell out of culture thing, I feel like it was a good inside joke for the beginning of it. Like, what is hell? What is culture? And But now I feel increasingly like that's not really what we are like. Okay. I'm not a critique the hell out of guy. It just feels a little more fussy than I want to be. Well, it's funny. We would always have to say, hey, it doesn't mean, you know, get off my lawn. You know, we'd always have to kind of give that caveat. Yeah. And yeah. that was one of uh, the things you came back with was going, you know, I just don't really I came back do with a lot of anymore. marching orders. Yeah, but not really. That was just basically the only <laughs> one. So yeah. I've been changed over the last three months. I don't want to critique the hot culture. Because I feel like at, when I'm at my worst, I'm fussy and grumpy. Yeah. And when I'm in a healthier place, I feel like I'm more open, curious, yeah, able to see... Uh, both the good and the bad and a lot of things like seeing common grace at work in the midst of sin, seeing uh, the dignity of fallen humanity even still and yeah. seeing like the, the honor that comes with repentance. And so, so, you- so we're not really, I mean, it's not like this show is going to change a lot in terms of the way it feels or the way it, you know, the kinds of things we talk about, it's going to be very similar. Yeah. All the people who like that we say hell at the beginning, that's the only reason they listen. They'll stop listening. <laughs> so nobody, I think. So we're just getting rid of that tagline, but basically like, yeah, that we're having the same kind of conversations, looking at the hellish parts of culture, looking at the heavenly parts, seeing what aligns with the scripture and seeing where the king interacts with the culture. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And I just think trying to set the tone on a less fussy note at the beginning would be great. Well, and it, this is not an episode to be fussy about. No, it's a very what, happy episode. Well, I mean, it's incredible. Like, I feel like we should probably burst into song and dance. So, yeah. uh... Barbie. Barbie. Holy smokers. Yeah, the worst part of my sabbatical was not being able to immediately do a King & Culture podcast episode about Barbie. (laughs) Are there, like, voice memos on your phone of, like, you in your room, like, quietly, like, doing your own version of it uh, after you saw the movie? No, just me having to process it myself and uh, trying to do analysis with my non-Christian siblings and them not caring about it, so... So, yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about Barbie, um, among other things, um, but maybe that's a segue. We, we've been talking about your time away. Yeah, like, wh- how did it go? You know, <laughs> what, uh, what did you notice throughout it? It was, it was, uh, it was really good. I, I think my main, like, emotion or sentiment about it was I'm just really grateful. I know there's so many people who need a sabbatical way more than I did. I, I, people who would benefit from it, you know, single moms, like burnt out pastors and other places working their tail off. So feeling really grateful for the generosity of the people of Redemption Gateway who can support a church to the extent that someone can leave. And there's like redundancy in staff that people can cover the bases and 
do a great job. Uh, two for like the elders uh, at Redemption Gateway. You know, you lead the elders and the culture you created and prioritizing longevity and health. Uh, Tom Schrader used to say Christ died for the church, so you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And in that culture and that our, our elders have made this a normal, regular thing, uh, this proactive resting of people. Yeah, yeah. I actually get one next year. You get one next year? Yeah. Is this the official announcement? Uh, it's it the official announcement of the, this podcast. The, the, <laughs> the official King Culture. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's it, been eight years. Yeah. I, the first sabbatical, uh, actually, that anybody in Redemption took was eight years ago, and that was the, the only one I've ever taken. And yeah, the, the elders told me a few months ago that uh, in honor of the 15th anniversary, which is next year, they wanted to really bless our family and give us another sabbatical. So, yeah, man, we're grateful. We're trying to iron out the specifics of when, but, uh, yeah, it is it is part of the culture, and I'm grateful for that. It's great to take a break before you're made to take a break for disciplinary reasons. Yeah, know? for sure. You know, And it's good that churches can pull the trigger on you need a sabbatical and you're making someone do it. But it's also it's even better when they're able to do it yeah. proactively as part of like a, a health plan. So I'm grateful for that. People have been really generous with their, with their words and their wallets. Like there are a handful of folks who just blessed our family in, yeah, that's a, cool. in a surprising way. Yeah. Totally unexpected. Uh, but that was, I was really grateful for that. Uh, even like the timing of it. Like I remember when I first got told I was going to do a sabbatical, which is about a year ago now at that time, like Olivia was eight months old and, remarkably fussy. I was yeah. like, oh, thank you for sending me home. <laughs> felt like more like a sentence. Go, <laughs> go home with this colicky baby for 12 weeks and come back and see how much you like this job. Uh, but even, like, my, our kids were in a really fun season. Mm, that's they're, great. They're both napping, so I got to nap every day. Uh, they play well together. Olivia's interacting. She's not chronically fussy. Uh, I mean, she's, she's one and a half, so she's toddling and drooling and screaming and yelling, and it's fun. So even like the 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 season of it in our life, yeah, uh, was was really great. It's been fun to just hear you talk about you, you, just how much you've enjoyed your kids, you know, yeah. and not getting stir crazy, but just enjoying them. And you know, yeah, the, they're a lot of work, but they're also a lot of fun. And for you to just delight in them is really sweet. Yeah, it was it was really great. I not that I expected to not like my kids, but I was surprised by how much I liked my kids. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was really good. Uh, Taylor and I got to obviously have a lot of quality time, hang out. Like our early marriage, we'd go to the gym together all the time. Then you mm-hmm. have kids, and you kind of have to trade off. But sure. We, we uh, joined Mountainside Fitness for ninety dollars a month, and had the kids' childcare. And I think this is now the second time you've plugged Mountainside Fitness on this podcast. I think right before you left, you did. Yeah. If you're uh, by the way, this is not a paid uh, endorsement, though we're open to it. I'm open. <laughs> I'm open to paid endorsements for Mountainside Fitness. Yeah. The uh, whatever that is. So uh, we'd go to bar classes. Okay. Which are like I was thinking, what would be the opposite of what I usually do in the gym? Okay. And now a bar, bar class. I, I I would think a lot of people that don't know what that is would go, oh, is that like with barbells? No, it's like cocktail making. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that either. <laughs> No, it's it's like ballet. Okay. Light is how okay. I describe it. L- like in ballet where there's like the bar against yeah, the, the bar mirror. against the wall. Yeah, it's B A R R E. Okay. I don't know like the etymology of it. I don't sure. do any research. But I did CrossFit for like 11 years. Right. And which is Yeah, I competed in some of those things and Yeah, I was yeah. yeah. And then I went to bar class, which is like they when you walk in, they have like weights that are like 1 pound, 2 pound, 3 pound, 4 pound weights. 
<laughs> and obviously I grabbed the four pound weights and, obviously and about I got 27 smushed. minutes later you I were reaching smushed. for the two pounder. Yeah. And so it's fun. But the, one of the interesting things, so it's fun with that. Cause I was like, I'm going to go and do something that I know I'm going to be terrible at. Cause I've never done it before. Yeah. Face the humiliation. And I mean that not like in like shame, but I mean like having to be humbled of yeah. relearning stuff. Cause once you do something 11 years, you get pretty proficient. Totally. And I'm like, I'm going to go do the unproficient, so I'm lost. And there's well, and you're probably the only guy in there. I was 99% of the time the only guy. Like, yeah. I think twice there was one other guy sure. in there. And it was kind of nice because he was, it was like after I'd been doing it 60 days. That would be an interesting, like, job interview question is would, to, to a guy, would you be willing to take a group fitness class if you were the only man in the room? Yeah. Just to hear what someone would say. Yeah, so it was I had fun doing it because yeah. I was like, there's no pressure to be good at this. <laughs> like at CrossFit, like I have expectations for myself. And there's like, it was like choreography. Like there's a lot of hips and knees involved. You okay. Know what I mean? And so there's like dancey stuff. Okay. And I could feel the instructor like. Let's like, get you a t-shirt that says dancey stuff. Dancey stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, could, uh, you said you could feel the instructor like, ro- rooting for you, glaring uh, like, at you. <laughs> what? Like, uh, feeling embarrassed for me. Okay. <laughs> like, like they make some like kind of generic comment. Like some of you might be uncomfortable with this kind of hip shaky stuff. Some of you kind of like wink, like, <laughs> wink at me. Like this is like I'd walk in and someone's like, "Hey, this is bar class. Are you lost?" You know, like that happened more than a couple of times. Oh wow, like, this is bar choreo. So did you do that with Taylor? I did it with Taylor about half the time and okay. by myself about half the time. Okay, you and the gals, just me and the ladies. Yeah. Yeah, there's a handful of like ladies in their late fifties who like uh, they're the only ones who come and talk to me, which I was thankful that they were the only ones to come and talk to me. Was, yeah, and uh, that was kind of fun. And a couple of times, my buddy Mike Rudder did it with me, and he, he was. <laughs> I bet I would want to come just watch you guys do that. Yeah, and so we're anything Mike Rudder does is funny. So yeah, that's why I would want to do that. Yeah, follow him on TikTok. He's pretty funny. But we um, got to do that, and there was one. There's one of the instructors um, who. We know because she used to work at Hope Women's Center, does like trauma informed teaching, stuff like that. And she like knew she knew I was a pastor. And uh, there was a time where you're doing like these 500 little squat things, mm-hmm. and my legs are shaking, trembling, like I'm standing before the Holy One of Israel, <laughs> you know, uncontrollable shaking. <clears throat> And she, she told me afterwards, like, put that in a sermon illustration, buddy. And you know, You're like, trust me, I yeah, will. Don't worry about that. Yeah, just the shaking can't do it anymore. It's already done. Yeah, so the, the bar class has got me reflecting, and I was talking to a couple of my buddies. I'm like, this is like not only just the bar classes, but also all the group fitness classes. Uh, 99% of the time, I was the only guy in there. Uh, and if there was another guy, there was maybe one or two. Yeah, there's one. Uh, you were one, never the majority. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Most of the time, I was the only guy. And so yeah. I was asking some of my buddies, like, why? Like, these are good classes. I'm sure. coming home very sweaty. I'm doing stuff that, like, I wouldn't. Like, part of the goal of fitness is to push yourself beyond your comfort zone. Like, I'm way past comfort zone. I'm struggling, suffering, have a difficult time. It's new movements, difficult things. It's included in your membership. It's not like you have to pay extra per every class. And no guys are in here. They're all choosing to just do their own thing. And so I was asking, why Why are guys not taking group fitness classes? And one person said, well, because well, they're all taught by women. 
which led to a whole nother layer of analysis. Okay. And two was, uh, cause they're way more afraid of looking they, like they go, people go to the gym to feel good about themselves, not to feel bad about themselves. Yeah. I, I was thinking that actually, when you said like, I wanted to do something that I would be the worst at, like I'm going, what? There aren't many guys that are like, put me in a room full of women and make me look bad. Yeah. Like, like yeah, it's, it's, when, there's, you know, which is, I think what, uh, a lot of us realize is just the security you have. And yeah. And there's like, after the class, there's, you know, I know a couple of times ladies like came up to me and talked to me like I talked to Jay. You did such a good job. Don't give up. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's actually why up. I mentioned don't that about up. the Keep job trying. interview question. Yeah. Cause I'd sort of want to know, like, is this person secure enough to go be a fool in front of people that they'd rather not be? Yeah. So anyway, I'm, I've been evangelizing bar classes to guys really unsuccessfully telling them to go do it. Like one, <laughs> there's like, I think part of, a life Some of it is for most guys. They're at like eight thirty or nine in the morning, so yeah. most people, most guys are at work. That is true, <laughs> but so many guys I know, like their job schedules are actually remarkably flexible. Like very few people, okay, at least in my age demographic, have like traditional yeah eight to fives or something like that. Like it's it's pretty mobile or movable, so you can move it if you wanted to. Okay. Like people, like less and less are people working like true banker hours or teacher hours. Like there are bankers and teachers. Um, but a lot of my friends, there's like flexibility in that kind of, so that's, that's part of it. So, so, um, other than like, this is kind of neat to hear about what Seth did. Like, yeah. why are we talking about this? Yeah. I think. Why is that fit for this conversation? Well, it really connects to Barbie. So, so you basically you're saying you went to Barbie land. I went to Barbie land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, was, so just uh, listeners, we uh, there was one day they so, said, "Hey, next Monday, everyone's gonna dress up in pink for Barbie," and I was like, "I'm just gonna not go that day." <laughs> There's one day I was like, "Not gonna be there." Out. It was the the Barbie theme oh, pink man. day. I was like, "I don't need to be there for that." That's okay. Well, oh. you all should know that Seth and I did a couple times get together. We you know we had a couple dinner and movie hangout nights, and uh, we saw a few different things, but we didn't get to see Barbie together. No. I think, I think one of the movies we saw, you had just seen Barbie already yeah. and i uh we were talking a bit about it and you were you were pretty into it which didn't surprise me because you're a big taylor swift fan you're a big lady gaga fan you know you were i think I'm, we were bumping the barbie soundtrack most oh, yeah. of the way to to dinner yeah, and uh you were you were pretty into it and i was like oh come on how can it be and then i went maybe a week or so later and yeah it was it was very interesting really good fun very thought-provoking yeah i went to taylor which is fun yeah you know, and did she wear pink? She wore pink. Did you? I wear. I wore something close. I figured it was. It was the most pastel-y thing I had. Oh, okay, great. So I wore a pastel. Way to go! Yeah, we we went full full in on it. But there's this dynamic in the Barbie movie, you know. And I remember when you when you uh, we decided we we're going to do a podcast. Like this, is like three years ago now. Mm-hmm. I just saw a joke that was like, "What do you call two guys who love their opinions about everything?" A podcast, right? And yeah, I love that the two men are talking about Barbie. Perfect. Yeah, yeah the uh, that guys. sounds like one of the jokes that would be made in Barbie. Yeah, here's two guys talking about here's yeah, guys with subtle beards. Everyone gather around while we explain women. Yeah, let me explain Barbie to you, ladies. Yeah, I'll help you out here. Uh, but the the dynamic in both of those movies was just uh, gripping to me, interesting to me. Hmm. The uh, and I'll, I'll start with bar and then we can move, move to Barbie. Um, like the, the bar class deal, like talking to guys, why aren't we in these group? Like these are great opportunities. It's, uh, it, it pushes you beyond like it, you, it's a great workout. 
uh, and like flexibility, mobility, joint health, ankle health. Like it's all like great stuff. And it's like this like fear of looking stupid to a group of people that you don't even know who they are. You know, it's not like, like who are these strangers that I want their approval? Like that's a, that's a weird thing <laughs> right. to me. Sure. And it's also weird because I've been doing CrossFit for 12 years and there's no mirrors in CrossFit. That's like part of the culture. Mm. You go to like this, like a uh, uh, eating disorder breeding ground called the gym with yeah, there's mirrors. Like mirrors on every wall. Yeah. It feels like psycho. Everyone's looking at themselves in the eye. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just feels like such a problem. And I don't think it's these people. It can't be mentally healthy. <laughs> <laughs> So it, the whole, like, everyone's, like, looking at themselves in the mirror. I feel like this has got to be a problem, and this has got to be unhealthy, mentally, whatever. And it reminds me of this time I was in group counseling at this place in California, and there's this group of people, I didn't know who it was, and there's a therapist conducting the room, or conducting is probably the wrong word, overseeing, presiding over, shepherding the room. And he was talking to me about, like, a previous negative experience I'd had with, uh, my uh, old employer, like male figure, and I kind of got choked up and then I choked back the tears real fast. Mm, yeah. And he was like, why'd you do that? And I do what? He's like, well, you're like about to cry. Then you like stop yourself from crying. Why'd you do that? And I said, I don't know. Like it, it, it is, uh, I don't know you people. He's like, exactly. You don't know us. Yeah. Like, why would you be embarrassed to cry? You yeah, don't even know us. You don't know us. You'll never see us again. And you're still trying to control your how you're perceived to these people. Like, their approval or not approval of you literally means nothing to you, and you still really want their approval, and they're nobody. And I and that that was kind of like a a moment for me on yeah. working through. This is I think seven years ago, six years ago, working through like becoming aware of like this desire for even strangers to have a certain perception of me, and it, that like so. I think that this ma- the male insecurity thing mm, yeah. is a big deal. Uh, and it reminds me, like, one of our one of my friends on staff was uh, talking to uh, their daughter, and they were talking about, like, male-female dynamics and men and uh, specifically, like, women leading stuff and women being abused, uh, like, wives. And, and this her daughter, who's 17, says something like, we can't even talk about, like, women's flourishing without also talking about male insecurity as, mm. as the root cause. Wow. Yeah. And just how quickly guys were ready to admit to me. It was not like they were like ashamed. I don't want to look stupid. It was just like, I'm not going to that because I'm not unwilling to look stupid. Yeah. And, and I feel like until you're willing to look stupid or look bad at something or to like be seen as not good at something when in fact you're not good at it, like facing reality, you can't grow and you can't develop and you can't improve. And there's also like this, I don't want to be led by women thing. That is just an interesting dynamic. Like I don't want some, cause, cause I I feel like there's like this false alpha male syndrome thing, which like alpha male equals, I can't be led by anybody in anything. I have to like be the master of my own ship in every sphere that is actually rooted in like this deep kind of, beta insecurity thing Mm. that like I can't I can't be not the best at something I have to like find my own way chart my own path and that like hyper individualism male insecurity thing is a is a huge Mm. uh, problem and and so I think 
I've been telling folks you should do bar classes. And like, why? I was like, because it's good to go feel stupid and look dumb. <laughs> yeah. It's like a healthy thing. Yeah. To, to go, I don't need these people to think I'm good at something. I don't need these people to think I'm impressive at something. I'm okay with being bad. I'm okay with being the worst in the room hmm. and other people noticing it. And I'm okay with like being bossed around by a female who's obviously better than me. What's going on. Like, and yeah. so like, and I think not every guy needs that rite of passage emotional thing, but I talked to a lot of guys and, and a lot of them need it. Well, and it's funny because a lot of people already take to some degree that approach to training, physical training, right? Like, like part of why you go, Hey, I'm going to push myself beyond my limits is so that when I get in a situation in normal life that is pushing me beyond my limits, I go, well, I've got some muscle memory there. Yeah. What if part of our muscle memory was being humbled and humiliated by our insufficiency, right? Like that actually might make it where when we hit like real moments with our family, with people we care about the most, where it's like, oh man, I'm bumping into my limits of sufficiency. Like we actually might go, oh, I have some muscle memory. I know how to deal with that. Exactly. I can take that to the Lord. I don't have to be overwhelmed by it. It doesn't have to crush me. I don't have to try to bow up and become somebody I'm not, you know, like that, that'd be really great. Yeah. Because being good at bar literally doesn't matter at all. Right. But being humble before your wife really stinking matters. Yeah. Uh, being able to like help your children work through stuff really matters. Like being able to like be wrong about a theological point and be corrected really matters. Like there's a lot of stuff that really matters that if you can't face, they can't be humble on stuff that doesn't matter. How can you be humble on stuff that does matter? Yeah. And so that's part one. And I'm not saying everyone should do bar because bar, but I'm saying you should do, go do something that you're bad at and make peace with being bad at it. And, and, and in particular, you're saying bad at in front of people. <laughs> bad at publicly. Yeah. 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 Cause anybody can just go be bad at something and, and in their, in yeah. their, Sure. watch a YouTube video and do it and struggle. And, but the, the other piece that's interesting, like with these, like most of the time when you go to do like weight training, like you're going to like, say you're going to go do a bench press and you're going to do three to five reps or you're going to do a max. It really doesn't hurt unless you injure yourself. Mm, yeah. Like you do three, you rack it and you move on. Yeah. You'd be sore the next day maybe, but yeah. But eventually you adapt and you're not sore the next day. Yeah. And, but every time like there's, people conceive of pain tolerance hmm. as like being ready for the big stuff. Uh, but most of the time I think pain tolerance is the accumulation of little things. Hmm. Yeah. And interesting. I've have been in more pain in bar classes than in any CrossFit class uh, because it's like, all right, we're going to do 32 of these weird, like heel elevated pulse squats. And by rep nine, your quads are begging for mercy. Yeah. And your mind is like, quit. And like, why am I, this like mind over body, body over mind thing. And like, the, the, I think that most of life suffering that produces difficulty is, is more closer to a low rep. I mean, a low weight, high rep dynamic. Hmm. It's being, it's a death by a thousand cuts stuff. It's the neighbor being slightly disrespectful. It's the not being considered over time. It's the being over, being overlooked for, something it's the um up with the kids multiple times a night like these are low weight high rep things that grind you down and i think that emotional pain tolerance uh and like that willingness to like keep doing it even yeah. when it's difficult and it hurts yeah is a huge part of maturity and a huge part of being useful to the world and to our peers and our and our loved ones and most of the guys i know who even those who do go to the gym 
there's way more of a focus on high weight, lower reps. Yeah. But that doesn't really require pain tolerance. It requires perseverance over time, but in the moment, it's not a big pain tolerance dynamic. Whereas, at least me personally, I felt like there's like this moral battle happening. Yeah. Of don't don't tap out, don't quit, keep going. That I feel like translates even to like my own emotional pain tolerance. And and I think that like there's this book by uh, a lady named Dr. Hera who wrote a book called Nation of Wimps. <laughs> and she's a secular Jewish psychologist who's an editor of Psychology Today. And it's all about why we've become such a low pain tolerance society, why we're all wimps. And by wimps, she means like lack of resilience, low self-efficacy, lack of willingness to try to overcome things. And it talks about caught like over coddling of children, hover parenting and how uh, parents aren't letting kids solve their own crises. And even now there's like this, one of the, the predictors of poor mental health outcomes in teens is actually like uh, that their parents are well off financially past a certain point. Hmm. Like before, like for a long time, the main predictor of poor mental health outcomes was um, being impoverished, low socioeconomic status. Yeah. Not having enough. But now it's like having too much means mm. you don't suffer enough in childhood. You don't have enough to overcome. I'm not saying everyone's just going to make their kids suffer, but there's like an, a, an insularity that comes with wealth, privilege, margin, big yeah. cushions sure. that uh, actually creates low resiliency. And, and I think that's actually creates low mental health outcomes because there's not like the ability to work through difficult things with success. The, the tools, the strategies, the coping mechanisms aren't learned in in early childhood, early early adolescence, and so like a lot of adults have poor coping skills. And I think that being able to cope with in a situation that you're actually in control of, like I'm in a bar class and I could leave, so I don't feel trapped and I don't feel uh, like stuck in it. Yeah. But I'm here to learn coping mechanisms. Is a totally reasonable sure a reason to do that and to develop that low weight high rep grind that out uh capacity and i think for men and for women yeah they willing to do that hmm. so there's that embarrassment piece but that that connects to barbie like this here's how this connects to barbie okay is the whole like ken doesn't know who he is dynamic yeah in the movie yeah he really only exists to just stand there and maybe have barbie look at him yeah. He, like he's beach Ken, but he can't even surf. He, he can't, can't even surf, do anything. He can't swim. He's he got beach. nothing to do. He's good at beach. Yeah. It's always Barbie or Barbie and Ken. It's never just Ken. Yeah. You know, like he's an accessory to the other thing. And the, and the movie does a, a pretty good job of then all of a sudden, like, so he's growing up in like this Barbie land where women rule the world. Right. And then they switch over to like the real world where men rule the world and, the men are like Will Ferrell, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. jokester CEOs. And so I feel like the movie is generally balanced as far as like highlighting that when you don't have like a real complimentary male and female ruling, like in Genesis one and two, it's like God creates Adam and Eve and they shall have dominion. Like it's mm. the, the plural, yeah. the, the two sexes are ruling together and that's like complementarity. And so if you don't have complementary leadership, mm-hmm. uh, that males and females are not interchangeable. Males are males, females are females. Well, that was actually one of the surprises for me. So spoiler alerts here. But um, I thought, right, because there's Barbie land where the women rule everything. And then there's the real world where at least the movie portrays it as like it's the patriarchy. And then I thought, okay, now they're back to Barbie land. They're going to try to go for something equal. 
Yeah. You know, and uh, there's this whole like, you know, the, the men are going to overturn the constitution of Barbie land to be in charge. Right. And, and no, sure enough, the women come in and swoop in and they return it back to how it was before. Like, I thought it was really interesting. Like, I expect to go, okay, it's not this, it's not this, it's actually this, but it, it didn't even attempt to do that. Uh, and maybe that's, I mean, the cynical side of that would just say, well, that's because the world doesn't really have an answer for how it could work. Complimentary. Like, you know, if you were the victim, you're going to be the oppressor. Like that's just how it goes. You know, maybe more uh, generous would be to say that the, you know, the director saying, hey, uh, you know, we it's our job to make it more equal. Like it, the ball's in our court kind of a thing. Like we've got to do that. But yeah, I was surprised that there wasn't even a, really an attempt to try to have the complimentary vision. But you could definitely see that, you know, one or the other isn't working. Yeah. And that's where the movie was so gendered. Right. And this is like, I'm going to, I'm going to go there is there's a moment in the movie where uh, Dr. Barbie comes on the screen uh-huh. yep. and I, it's like, that is a trans person. Yep. Yeah. I had the same reaction. I've talked to a lot of people who had no idea. Yeah. Like, but I was like, I, I recognize that. Person. And that's, that's one of the things that I hate about all this gender ideology stuff is that I have to like, look at someone and go like, is that a trans person? Like in, right. in, that is ugly to me. Like, I don't want to, like, there are more feminine men and there are more masculine women and I don't want to have to look at them and ask the question, like, are they right presenting themselves honestly or are they lying to me about their sex? And so trans, trans Barbie and, um, that stuff, like my personal tolerance for that is just going, getting lower and lower. Yeah, I agree. And lower. And, and here's part of it. And is, I don't necessarily think that like they are trying to fool me, but I do feel like I'm expected to pretend like I'm fooled. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, in even and in, in in the inconsistency of the movie, right? The the movie like literally at the end when Barbie's like I'm going to become a real woman, and she the goes, first thing she does is she goes to a gynecologist. Why? Because women have vaginas. Yeah. Right? Like it's just it's an inconsistent reality, even within the movie, right? So it's like we have to do all this make-believe stuff because really deep down we know that women mm-hmm. go to gynecologists. <laughs> yeah, and, and, here's, and here's, here's one of the, the quotes that's been circling around in my head a ton. I read through Lord of the Rings stuff. That was one, some of the stuff I read. Is There's this point in Lord of the Rings where uh, like – Sam and a couple of other folks are like talking about how disgusting orcs are. Okay. And how they think Gollum is like just a real like sub creature and he should deserve to die. And Gandalf confronts them. Mm. Okay. And he like tells them a story. And one of the things, like one of the points of the story is he says that Sauron, who's like the evil guy, has few true servants and many, many slaves. Mm. Gandalf's hogging the point that like, Gollum, he is an agent. He is responsible for his choice to do wrong things. But at the same time, he is being oppressed by darkness, that the powers and principalities mm. have taken him further than he planned on going. Yeah. And he has forgotten his own name. Mm. And he, he's so lost a sense of self because he's bought into Sauron's words. And he's he has now like gone along with, but he is now both responsible and it's totally realistic to look at this person as a victim Mm. that you believed Sauron and now he did this to you. And 
it's very important to like distinguish between uh, like the demonic ideologies that are selling false answers to people of uh, like I was in Cancun the last week of sabbatical and there's a little boy with his nails painted wearing a dress Mm. and his, you know, very open-minded progressive parents letting him decide you can be anything you want to be to grow up, you know, president, a girl, a boy. And it just like, and I was talking to a buddy of mine recently. I'm like, how many 30 year olds that you would say have like a really intact psychology, clear sense of self, really secure, like stable. Like it's a low percentage. Mm, yeah. Like we as a society are like not doing that great. And I was also not like oppressed by my parents and allowed to, like pretend that I'm the opposite. Like, yeah. like how does this little kid can have a shot of growing up with an intact psychology mm. with a clear sense of self? Yeah. And so I'm both like angered and grieved. I see a slave of Sauron who's being reared up under evil ideology. And, and it, it's such like the subtext, like you have this like poppy peppy doesn't take itself seriously movie you know, Ken and Barbie are funny. It's like well done. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't take like the, yeah, movie, the dance scenes are great. The dance scenes are great. The the songs are great. Yeah. Uh, you know, even like there's the two two versions of the song Pink that Lizzo does. There's the okay. first version where it's like everything's great and we're fine, and then later on like Barbie's heels are flat and she's like not able to. And like there's just like great. Like it was a fun, good movie, and it's like slipped in there with this little normalcy is trans Barbie, and. As though, because it's not making the point, it's making you assume the point. Mm, yeah. Like, uh, it wasn't a movie about trans acceptance. It was a movie that, like, said, hey, if you're thrown off by this, there's something wrong with you. And and that's, like, the undertone of it. That's the, the mm. subtlety of it is uh, this is normal. It's a little bit like what Will and Grace was like. It was not a movie about gay liberation. It was a movie that was, like, normalizing uh, homosexuality. Yeah. Like there's no arguing about it. It was just presuming it similar with Chits Creek. There's like just this tone of, um, if you have a problem with this, we're not even going to try to convince you because you're backwards and you shouldn't have an issue with it. So, so Seth, if I'm going to just kind of connect some of these dots, like on one hand in the whole bar conversation, you're saying, Hey, we should intentionally expose ourselves to situations where we're uncomfortable, where it's not really, what we would like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be awkward and uh, it's going to be low grade difficult. You know, we got to do that. You know, does that apply to this where we go, you know what? Hey, you know what? This is, this makes us uncomfortable. We don't like this, but like, Hey, just accept it because it's like, you know, just part of being uncomfortable and it's part of the path to humility. Yeah. I, I think that those two dynamics to me, like highlight more and more of like my own thinking on gender which is there are stereotypes which ought to be rejected, but there are two types hmm. and they ought to be embraced. You know, that this idea that the stereotype to be rejected being being like men shouldn't do group fitness classes. Men shouldn't learn how to kick and plie and whatever. Like men shouldn't listen to women. Men should li- like it feels like there's a whole bunch of like inappropriate conservatism yeah. that I would call gender stereotyping. Okay. That if you read the arc of scripture, not even the arc of scripture, like the first page of scripture, you, <laughs> yeah. you don't even have to read the whole thing. You just read the first page. It's like, oh, men and women ruling together. There are men, there are women. 
men and women have children who are males or females, and those males grow up to be men, and those females grow up to be women. But so you want to reject the stereotypes, but you want to embrace the truth. Yeah, or we could call it the archetypes. Yeah, like that. Like men and women are, uh, they're like universals about what makes them men and women, and there are trends that make them substantially different. Uh, and and but at the same time, like, so I don't want to be. I want to progress from the problematic visions of male and female kind of uh, assumptions. Uh, and I certainly want to conserve that there is male and female and that they're not interchangeable. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the more we can do that, the more we're going to have like a biblical complementarity that men and women are to be together. And I know that here we have two dudes talking about this on the podcast, but my, my, my point being is like the, my duality of seeing Barbie and you have this kind of like women go to the gynecologist and here's a trans Barbie and don't ask questions about it or you're a transphobe. And then a bar class where it's like men like don't want to look bad and don't want to do this. Men, men only do this type of way. Don't do that type of drink. Yeah. Like it, it feels like there's just a, it, our culture is very confused about uh, what men ought to be doing, what women ought to be doing, what men ought to be, what women ought to be. And I think that the church does a little too much uh, uh, tone policing, like pursuing niceness uh, over truth telling, mm. and there's this uh, quote uh, from this poet. And so, this was uh, one of my uh, old friends, a guy named Noah, who was a church planner in Slovakia. This is one of the things that came to my mind a bit. Uh, uh, a poem written by a guy named Dylan Thomas who he was writing to his, uh, as an appeal to his father. His father was dying, and his father was kind of like just letting himself die. Okay. And the son was arguing with his father, like, don't just let it happen. Like, fight against it, resist it. Uh, like, this is a bad thing, you know. And, and he's like kind of begging his dad, like, please keep trying to live. Don't just mail it in. Like, you're dying. You're not dead. Uh, stay the course. Try to try to keep like, I want you here. Yeah. Like don't, don't go gently is what is like the, is the tone of it. And so he, so he's the, the original uh, poet is like, I think he's like 1940s or fifties or something. I don't know. He says, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late. They grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Mm-hmm. So there's, so my buddy Noah, church planner in Slovakia, I was there when I was 18, he took that poem and wrote a song about it that was about, like, the dying of Christianity in Eastern Europe. Hmm. Like, this used to be a Christian place. Now it's like most of these people have never even met a Christian. Like, Christ, like hearing about Christians would be like hearing about uh, a witchcraft to some people. And, yeah. like, oh, there's people sacrificing bats and think that works. You know, like, there's... Uh, and he was appealing to the church in Slovakia, like, don't just... Let it die. So he's saying, don't go gentle into that. Good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And he wrote a song about it, and it was like this rally song. And it was, it was like formative for me. Hmm. Ra- don't go gentle. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And I feel like uh, in my own heart and in the heart of like a lot of Christians in my circles, there's been like this, let's go gently yeah. and, and be nice yeah. and be kind and I'm not saying niceness and kindness is bad, but there's been like this refusal 
to like go, hey, Christianity's dying out. It's putting on the margins. Well, there's this assumption that to tell the truth would be unkind. Yes. I think part of what we know as followers of Jesus and believers of the Bible is that actually telling the truth is kind. Yeah, and you, you have people abusing their children, putting puberty blockers in them. And because they so desperately want the approval of their doctors and their liberal peers, they think that's a good thing. And Christians are kind of like, oh, you know, it's not my... And, and I, I just more and more feel like there's an appropriate place of rage that's not sub-Christian rage. That's rage that leads to riot, but it's rage that leads to prayer. And prayer in the presence of God that leads to, like, refined holy rage, mm. righteous anger, yeah. that leads to action. Yeah. That leads to, like, doing the work of God's people. It yeah. doesn't just lead to, like, moaning and complaining about it, but it's like, hey, the church is not good at complementarity either. Right. Like, let's get better. Let's do it. Let's yeah. let's be more effective. Let's be, let's be, can we, like, Luke and Seth, be like the one guy in bar class who's like, hey, we're not good at this, but we're trying to get better. Be like, can, right. like, will we have the security to do that? Will our leaders, like, locally have the security to do that? Will, will our church, uh, like, can we be repentant? Can we... Can we uh, do that? Because I think that, so there's that, that, this quote, don't go gentle, not good night, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Uh, while originally about physical death, I see as very much a, a cultural, spiritual death as well. And there ought to be a, a more appropriate place of rage that's not just kind of right-wing moaning, but it's rage channeled into the, the mission of God's people to birth and strengthen healthy disciples. Mm. And the combination of bar class and Barbies kind of got me (laughs) thinking of just our whole world is so bad at gender and Mm. mostly women pay the price. And now adolescents pay the price. Uh, The next generation is being forced to inhabit this ideological world where they are, have this like the mental health outcomes are atrocious. And I, I think like divorcing that from the gender ideological stuff, that's, giving people choice anxiety about you used to have a difficult time picking your major. Now you got to also pick your gender and, and just thinking about what are these kids that were raised in this environment going to be like when they're 40. Yeah. And it's not a positive trajectory. And I think uh, we shouldn't go gentle into the night and do what we can to rage against the dying of the light. Nice. All right. Well, there's a good challenge and uh, yeah, get out there. Sign up for your local bar class. Go see Barbie while it's still in theaters. And, uh, man, it's great to have you back. It's great to uh, just have your thoughts. And, uh, yeah, it's it's fun because my sense just having talked to you is, like, it's not like you were just kind of sitting there thinking all the time. You know, you were you were just having these experiences, reading different stuff. But I do feel like there's stuff pregnant in there with, you know, for you of, like, things that are – you know, have been simmering that and it's going to be fun to hear more of them come out in this coming season. So yeah. it'll be fun. Yeah. I, feel, I do feel like there's some muscles I haven't worked in a while, but it's funny just being back at work about a week. I feel like the, uh, like you said, the, the stuff I've been pregnant with is <laughs> to be clear, only females can be pregnant. But I, uh, <laughs> yeah, That's but right. Anyway. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. And uh, Seth, it's great to be together. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. So we'll see everybody next time on King and Culture. Lord be with you. (laughs) 